You're listening to the Tennis.com Podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hey everyone, Tennis.com Podcast. We are back after a little bit of a hiatus. Uh, I am Ed McGrogan here with Steve Tigner, Richard Pagliaro, obviously uh, coming off of the slams and a busy post-slam weekend with Davis Cup, uh, Andre Agassi in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I don't know if it, if it was just too much to ask to have the ITF push the Davis Cup maybe onto a week like this one where there is next to nothing of, of of great importance going on. It would have been a week, you know, not the week after Wimbledon. It wasn't wouldn't be the Hall of Fame week. So I I, I have to say that we've we've talked about Davis Cup a little bit, but I do I do want to mention that this uh, you know this week was wide open. I think it still is actually too. Yeah, I think this is what they wanted. Though. The players wanted to come right off a of slam and come right into Davis Cup because they felt like. They would be ready for it. There wouldn't be that extra week of preparation necessary. But now, of course, once that happens, Nadal um, can't play because he's he you know he doesn't want to do that right after Wimbledon. Um, so it seems like you you can't win either way. It didn't seem to work to skip a week, and it seems like a lot to to not skip a week. Yeah, that was that was the players that was the players sort of push a little while ago, right? To have it. Pr- Pretty much on abutting it, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Okay, and I think that's the same for the U.S. Open. Is that like for the semifinals? I think it's yeah. They've moved them all right, right next to the slam. So we'll see whether that works. Or they have to move them back. Yeah, end up moving them back a week. Yeah, I know that for next year, um, you know, for what it's worth, the final is is pushed back. This is the first. Next year will be the first year of the ATP of the men's tennis schedule. I think as a whole. Actually, getting some trimming, but it, it, mm-hmm. it will be pretty, pretty uh, light pruning. From what but I it's can true, tell. it wasn't ideal to come out of Wimbledon two weeks of Wimbledon, and then come right into Davis Cup. At least as a, as a fan, and and maybe as a player. I mean, some of the guys didn't mind. I think Andy Roddick wanted to get to Davis Cup after Wimbledon, but but I suppose for fans, it, you know, it, it's tough to get the schedule you know, just the way we want it. Yeah, Richard. Actually, you you know watched a. A bit of that. We we have talked about this. I I do want to head on Roddick though, just quickly because, um, you know, the last we saw of that U.S. Spain tie was about Fish and Ferrer and and Roddick's only matches. It turned out came on Friday, and um, it, it's I don't think anyone expected uh, a straight sets defeat there. Just one uh, final word on Davis Cup. Let's just talk about Roddick's performance in general and. And maybe where he goes, you know, going forward. I, I, I don't assume. I assume he's still the captain until proven otherwise. Until he kind of wants to play it out, play out his string. But what did you think about him overall against in his hometown too? I thought the frustrating and disheartening thing for him is that in Davis Cup he's been such a commanding closer when they need to clinch. Now here he is with all those set points in the first set, and he couldn't close then. You know, he survives that, goes up 3-0 in the second, and still couldn't make that lead stand. So if I'm Roddick, you know, on your home court, on a fast surface, sort of designed to make the most of your uh, assets to not be able to close either one of those sets, you know, you, you really got to be frustrated and disappointed. I, that said, I think it's a bad matchup for him on the surface because Ferrer is so good hitting that inside-out forehand to Andy's backhand, and that's just not a good pattern for him to get dragged into and look Ferrer's beaten him in Miami I mean Ferrer's a hell of a player I think he's he's pretty much underrated by a lot of people so I wasn't shocked that he beat him just the way it went down especially if you're Roddick with all those set points and the you know 
big, pretty sizable lead in the second set, not to be able to close either set. That that's right. pretty disheartening. Right. Uh, so you know, with Davis Cup uh, now behind us, and uh, we'll pick it up again in a few months' time. This this time here, uh, ordinary time, I guess. This uh, before you know, before we get to August more premier hardcore tournaments, which are in Canada, Cincinnati, and then eventually the U.S. Open. We have kind of a, a chunk of, of weeks here that I, I wonder kind of what you guys think. How much does it really signify? And, and I'm thinking about um, other points in the tennis calendar where um, you have a lot of sort of lower-tier tournaments, like right after the Australian Open. Uh, that goes on for about a month until March. And then really after the U.S. Open, um, that goes on until you know, arguably the rest of the year. What does this kind of time signify? It, does feel, it feels like a whole separate season starting over. Um, not right now, it's almost, it almost feels like the off-season. Nadal is out uh, for a while. You know, he was talked about how he wasn't going to play for five weeks. He didn't want to play for, for that long. Djokovic needs a break. And, and these guys, the sort of top players, the European guys, kind of drift over um, eventually. You know, Del Potro will play in the U.S. But, but for a while, it's just sort of feels like an all-American sort of warm-up um, group of tournaments, Washington, Atlanta, L.A., before, before, the, um, before the top players come on the men's and the women's side. Uh, it almost feels like um, you know, it's, it's, longer, it's much longer to get started uh, it's, than, the, than the clay court season or even to, you know, to get to the Australian Open. It takes, seems to take much longer to get to the U.S. Open. You're right. Monte Carlo does come like instantly after Miami and all that. Um, And this one, I I, I was just, as I was saying to you before, I think this is a, this is a perfect reason for all the uh, anti U S tennis, basically all people in in Europe and all that for, to kind of get on, get on the case here. It's, it's a slew of U S tournaments. It's going to be loaded with American entrance. Probably half of them are going to win titles. This is going to be like we're watching Davis Cup again, just Query and Fish and Isner kind of – Isner just won Newport as well. Um, but we were looking kind of at what we can what we can look forward to, I guess, the maybe the hidden gems, if you will, of, of the summer slog in a way. Mm-hmm. And there are, some, um, there are some pretty important um, players coming back into the fold pretty soon. Serena Williams, for one – is going to be play Stanford. She, um, I didn't even realize she was playing because her ranking, which is now at 175, uh, put her on the bottom of the screen. They actually decided to uh, to sort them by ranking instead of by probably stature. So Serena returns to there. Um, any thoughts on what we should maybe expect out of Serena in this summer, seeing what we saw? She still makes fourth round Wimbledon after a year off. Richard, maybe you can go on that. Yeah, I think just it's encouraging just that, you know, assuming she plays, not just enters, that, that, that shows that she's eager and she's got the desire. And the lack of match play, I think, hurt her a little bit at Wimbledon. But I thought it was a good effort from her. I mean, it, she wasn't clearly at her best. She wasn't match tough, but she played a good match. I mean, I thought Bartoli just beat her. But you saw at the end, the serve started coming in when she needed it. And, uh... I think it's a good sign to get her out there and get her sort of get the matches under her belt and, and just see her compete. I think that's really what she needs to do. And not only that, but just playing world team tennis. I mean, anytime you see her on the court consistently week after week, that's a good sign. I mean, that means to me that she's she's motivated she and, and healthy. You know, before this world team tennis match, she hadn't played in the U.S. since 
since the match where she was defaulted. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. In um, at the U.S. Open, so so yeah, like you said, just getting her out there and and started this far before the U.S. Open is, I mean, it's a good, it's a pleasant surprise, really, I think, for, for most tennis And fans. she said in the past the Open is her favorite major, and, you know, like you said, the last time to, to, to sort of go out the way she did, I'm sure she's going to be super pumped up to sort of come back and, and, and have a positive impact there. So I, I look for big things from her. Kvitova is playing really well, and then you've seen people like last year, Azarenka, going to Stanford, Beat Sharapova. Azarenka is a really tough player on hard courts. So yeah, there's what's, a lot for Kvitova there. That's one one player that we were looking at because it's she's obviously come out this year and made her huge performance at Wimbledon, and uh, you know in years past we may not have kind of remembered what, what her traditional schedule is. She's going to be playing in in um, Carlsbad, which was San Diego, but that's kind of been turned into that term after a little bit of a hiatus. So Kvitova returns to there. Um, she obviously showed she made huge runs at both Clay, Roland Garros, Wimbledon on grass. Um, Steve, what about her on hardcore? Well, the first time I remember seeing her play was when she beat Safina in at the U.S. Open a couple of years ago. Safina was the number one player in the world, but Kvitova, she, um, she looked like the better player. It's one of those rare times when it wasn't didn't seem like a fluky win um, that this lower ranked player was beating the number one players. Like you watched her play, it's like she's she is the better player of these two. Um, so I would say there's no reason that she can't continue. She played well in Australia until she played a bad match against Vonareva. Um, her history has been that in the past has been to play well, play well, play well, and then suddenly throw in a bad match. That didn't happen at Wimbledon. Sort of got the feeling that she finally realized how good she can be. What exactly what she can do at Wimbledon, um, just just there. Uh, so, you know, I don't see any reason why we won't see something similar or at the U.S. Open or, or her have a good – I could see her having a slow start in the hardcore season, some of the smaller events, maybe a little bit of a letdown. But but, um, would but she thinks she could peak by – yeah. Yeah, but would love to see her – Love to see her play Serena at the U.S. Open. That's what I'm hoping for. You could get it very early, depending on how right. the ranking is. Yeah. yeah, there's not going to be subjective or um, you know judgmental rankings at the Open like there was at Wimbledon. So Serena, unless she happens to, um, you know, unless she puts up like a tournament win, it may not, may even take more than that. Um, she, her, and Venus are going to be you know one of those many. Early round, where is who is she going to end up playing by round two or something like that? Absolutely. So, so that's a, that's one thing we can say about the U.S. Open that will um, generate a lot of interest for that. Sure, um, and for the men, you, the you know the Murray, Djokovic, Federer, Nadal quadrant, you know they're not going to be around until Toronto, um, Montreal this year for the men. Although Murray did play last year um, in L.A., but. One player who we know is going to be there is the uh, the man who I don't think anybody would would want to forget come summer hardcore time. That's Juan Martín Del Potro, and we can say this about this time of year is that Del Potro um, a couple of years back ran through this entire summer stretch. He won um, was it three tournaments in a row? Was it? It was four tournaments. Yeah, because one was clay. They one went from clay right. and then right into hardcore where he just rolled people. Yeah, and he, and he, it wasn't like he ran out of steam. He didn't, that year was 2008, I believe. This was before he won in 09, but it wasn't like he kind of ran out of steam either at the open. He was, a, I can't remember who took him out then, but it, 
he certainly used that summer stretch and um, and just you know kept going ran to the open. So Del Potro will come back in, in Los Angeles, and um, you know I think a lot of people have. Del Potro this year has been a stop and start kind of guy. He still had an injury that set him back, but every time he really does seem to show at least a few, uh, you know a couple tournaments, called matches worth those shades that he's the top five, he's the fifth guy in that that we shouldn't forget. Yeah, he's so, had a, he's had a good season. He's won tournaments. He lost to Djokovic at the French Open, and he lost to Nadal at Wimbledon. So there's nothing. He was it was sort of bad luck that those were relatively early matches, but um. But yeah, we really have to look at him as a guy who can maybe break up that that top four, top five, you know, the one sort of relative wild card, and we'll really finally see him, you know, probably get on a good stretch of of matches and and winning matches by the by the time he gets to the U.S. Open. And he's always said hard courts his best surface. And I remember even going back to Delray earlier this year, he was saying in the press conferences there. If I can get healthy in the matches by the time the U.S. Open, I mean, clearly he was pointing toward the U.S. Open because of what happened last year, you know. So I, I think he's going to be really motivated. And God, when he's on his game, he can beat anybody on a hard court. I think. Yeah, well, it's he's proven that before for sure. Um, we're going to be back with a podcast next Monday after this weekend's play. In the meantime, I of course suggest you all check out tennis.com. Steve Tegner, Richard Pagar will both be writing on their blogs. We have Pete Bodo, of course. Um, you know, please check out the site. Lots going on, even though it may not be the busiest time on the actual tennis calendar. We we find ways to make it interesting for you guys. So thanks for listening to us. Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. 